0: I, one thing I've learned through this journey is there's two types of people, those that are humble and those that are about to be, and I was that guy that was about to be. Most of the time there, though, living a lie, and the fact that I was a functioning alcoholic and drunk and just really living as an enemy of the cross. On June 4, 2011, after a stint in rehab that summer in 2010, uh, nothing really changing. You know, Rob had to let me go. If you've ever been on the verge of death and and certain death and and then you look up and God just reaches down and saves you and just totally turns your life around 180, it's it's so amazing, It's, it's hard to put into words.
1: Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha.
2: And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at The Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to
1: be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Matt Deggs, head coach of Sam Houston State. Pull up a
2: seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Deggs.
1: Welcome back to the Farm System. We're sitting down with Matt Deggs.
2: Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System.
0: My pleasure, Bo. I appreciate you and Joey having me on.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, Matt, uh, the real reason we want to have you on is obviously, you know, you've gone through a a tremendous journey and God has walked you through um, and some changes that he's made in your heart. And uh, we wanted you, it's impacted me and Bo so much, and uh, we know how much that, you know, that can be for our listeners. So we're, we're excited to jump in and we appreciate all the insight and everything you have to offer us.
0: Well, it's been a crazy story. It's just a crazy, crazy journey, uh, Joey. And, and uh, you know, the way I look at it is kind of like this. I was, I was literally, I was dead, man, like just dead. And uh, if you've ever been on the verge of death and, and certain death and, and then you look up and, and God just reaches down and saves you and just totally turns your life around 180, It's uh, it's, it's, so amazing you, you it's it's hard to put into words and so uh when i have opportunities to speak or or share on a show like you guys uh do uh you know I, I can i consider that not only an honor and a pleasure but it's it's my obligation to just open the eyes of people's hearts to to show them that that you know we have a god of, of power love redemption and, and grace and uh that if, if a guy like me can do it, uh, anybody can do it. And so, uh, the story, the journey is just, it's impacted so many people and it's nothing that I've done. It's, it's all been through Christ. Uh, but I truly believe he has used this story to hit a lot of people right in the heart and right between the eyes. And it's, it's had a big impact.
2: Yeah, that it has. And I think that's a, a generous way of putting it, Coach. You know, hearing your story, the rise, the falls, the ups and the downs, it's it's remarkable and it's definitely had a tremendous impact on thousands of people in the country and really all around the world. Um, for, for those that haven't heard your story, haven't had the chance to, can you take our listeners through your journey uh, beginning when you decided to transition to coaching?
0: Well, you know, I was an average player at best. I was an overachiever that, that, you know, looking back and say I got the absolute most out of everything that that I was blessed to have. And uh, I was a guy that always had to be in the frame, always had to be in the picture, had to fight and scrap, uh, sometimes literally for everything that I got in this game and uh, was born with a super competitive heart. And so... Uh, that my playing days ended in professional baseball and, and, uh, realizing that, you know, I, I was never going to get to the big leagues. I did what most average players do that love and have a passion for the game. I started coaching and, uh, was fortunate to, to play. And my manager, uh, one of my managers, one of the years I was playing professionally was Butch Hobson, uh long time big leaguer, long time, uh, big league manager. And so, that's really kind of where my coaching began. Uh, is after a stint on the DL, I really kind of started coaching, doing scouting reports, positioning, coaching a base, uh, coaching some hitters, etc. Even though I was only 24, 25 years old, uh, for Butch Hobson and just learned an incredible amount of baseball from him and leadership from him. And, uh, one of the guys I had actually played for in college, Rob Childress, who's now the head coach at A&M. Uh, he and I were really close, really good friends. And, uh, he happened to be at Northwestern state university there in Natchitoches, Louisiana at the time. And I was still playing and he was coaching, uh, under Dave Van Horn and everybody knows Dave he was the head coach at Arkansas. And, uh, called me one, one day and, and asked if I'd be interested in coming over, getting a, a master's. Back then, they had, you know, what was called a GA, and, uh, where they pay for your schooling and and uh, give you an opportunity to start coaching. And uh, so I, I had an undergrad degree, and, and I still have the letter that Rob wrote me. It, it said, if you make 800 on the uh, GRE, which is basically the entrance exam to get into grad school, uh, they can pay for some of your schooling. And, uh, you can get into grad school and so I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time and I I just kind of made a deal with myself and and the Lord you know I'll go in here and I'll take this test and I'm not a test taker by any stretch uh, and so I show up at a Sylvan Learning Center there in Mobile Alabama that's where I was playing at the time and just said if I pass this test I'll, I'll, I'll go into coaching and so I took this test it was like taking the SAT all over again it was terrible <laughs> uh, they passed out scratch work for the for the math portion, and everybody's using the scratch piece scratch piece of paper. And I I don't even have anything to write on it, so I just literally funny story. I just started scribbling on you know scribbling down on the scratch paper, acting like I was doing something, <laughs> uh, just not to look stupid. And uh so I hit submit on the computer there and it, it calculates your score and shoots it back at you. And, and uh, I'll be dang, I was supposed to make an 800 and I made an 800 exactly. And uh-huh. uh so I took that as a sign that, you know, maybe I should start coaching. And end of the season loaded up my stuff headed to Natchitoches and that's kind of where I started my coaching career and spent two years there with those guys. And we're all still, incredibly close to this day. And uh, the job at Texarkana College came open, a junior college there, about hour and a half up the road from, or two hours up the road from uh, Natchitoches. Uh, and Dave Van Horn had been the head coach there. Rob had been the head coach there. And oddly enough, they got me on an interview and I didn't get the job. Uh, so about mm-hmm. six weeks later, my wife and I had just gotten married, moved into a little rental home there in Natchitoches. And uh, literally, Rob and I had moved everything in there. And uh, I had just hung the last picture on the wall. And the president from Texarkana College called and said, hey, you still interested in this job? Uh, the coach that we hired's leaving already. So Rob and I went down. Uh, rented a U-Haul truck, attached my truck to the back of it. We reloaded everything back in the U-Haul and then uh, drove up to Texarkana where Kathy and I spent five great years. uh, Had a chance to lead them to their first junior college world series. My son was born there in Texarkana. And uh, after our fifth season, we had just lost uh, San Jack to, to go back to Grand Junction and Hunter Pence was on that team, Ryan Patterson, uh, LSU hall of famer. There was a lot of, there's a lot of good players on that team. And we just fell short and Van Horn coach Van Horn called me one night. And, uh, he said, look, at, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Arkansas. It looks like, uh, would you be interested in going with me? He was at Nebraska at the time, him and Rob both. And, uh, I just jumped at the chance. And so, uh, You know, the deal was this uh, not too many people knew it was going down. It wasn't official yet. So I moved everything. What's funny is we had just sold our house in Texarkana. So we had bought another house across town, but we hadn't closed on it. So we had to back out of buying that house. I moved all of our stuff into storage. Kathy took our son, Kyler, and moved them down to our parents' place in Texas City, which was about five hours away. And I lived in the apartments where the boys stay. Uh, for a few weeks until everything became official with that job, and then we loaded up and went to Arkansas and just had an incredible three-year run. Uh, you know, Coach Van Horn is the guy's just a winner, man. He wins at everything he does, and uh, he he cut me loose. I was his recruiting coordinator and hitting coach, and we won the SEC and wound up in Omaha in our second year, and it was just an incredible run. And uh, end of the third year in 04, Five, the A&M job was coming open, and I was highly interested in it. And I knew Rob was, and we were best friends, and uh, we just talked and said, whoever gets it, we're both going to go. Uh, he wound up getting the job uh, right after the postseason, in, in '05. And I remember going over and telling Coach Van Horn uh, that we're going to we're going to take that job, and he said, Well, I knew you would. You guys are from there; it's home for you guys. And he wished us the best, and. On June twenty eighth, oh five, Rob and I hopped a flight and wound up in College Station. I left my wife Kathy, eight months pregnant with our third child. She stayed behind, and uh, for the rest of the summer, Rob and I lived in the Hilton Hotel there in College Station for about six eight weeks, and hit the ground running. Finally, got the family moved down, and uh, Rob and I had one heck of a run for about five and a half years. Uh, I was the associate head coach, ran. Uh, just about every aspect of the program, uh, ran offense, recruiting, just about all of it. And we had a rip roaring good time. And, uh, you know, I was most of the time there though, living a lie. in the fact that I was a functioning alcoholic and drunk and, uh, just really living as an enemy of the cross, arrogant, egotistical, thought I was untouchable and, uh, you know, uh, one thing I've learned through this journey is there's two types of people those that are humble and those that are about to be. And I was that guy that was about to be. And so on June 4th, uh, 2011, after a stint in rehab that summer in 2010, uh, nothing really changing, you know, Rob had to let me go, had to fire me. And uh, so. Uh if you've ever been fired by your best friend from a job that's probably the best assistant coaching job in the country, it's a very, very humbling experience and uh will knock you to your knees. And uh we went from having it all uh you know, we had won four or five Big Twelve championships, uh, you know, just had a great run, produced a lot of all Americans, first round draft picks, et cetera. Uh if you go from that to having nothing having to put your house up for sale uh your kids have to change schools because you can't afford to pay for the school that they're going to you blow through your savings your kids have to go on a reduced free lunch because you can't even pay for that uh you're unemployable you lose your family you lose your friends and uh all because you can't put a beer bottle down uh it it'll it'll take you to the, the very, very edge, the very, very brink. And I wanted to die, you know, I had to sleep next to my five year old daughter at the time, Chloe, just to feel her heartbeat, just to stay alive and uh look up and nobody will hire you. Texarkana College wouldn't you know, they had an opening in the summer of twenty eleven. They wouldn't even return a phone call. Galveston Junior College. I mean, I was the associate head coach at I M. I couldn't get a job at Galveston College. Uh you know, I went from South Dakota to Nashville to all across the country looking for jobs and nobody would hire me. And, uh, on my, when I turned 40 in in August of, of 11, uh, I was working at a feed mill about 20 miles outside of college station, loading 18 wheelers with cattle feed, horse feed, deer corn with a bunch of guys that didn't speak the same language as me. And, we're all in the back of a hot 18 wheeler slinging cattle feed in the back of it, uh, just to make ends meet. That'll, that'll, that'll cripple you. That'll cripple your ego for sure. And, uh, I think that's what the Lord did was he took everything in my life and stripped it from me and started to build me over and, uh, build me new and, uh, all the way from the ground up. Although I didn't know it at the time, that's what was going on. And, uh, went from a feed mill to, to selling pharmaceuticals and, uh, that, that fall and, uh, which I was pretty terrible at. I was just a duck out of water. You know, I I spent 430 days outside of the game, which is a biblical number in itself. And so you feel like a duck out of water and, uh, you you just don't feel like yourself and all the while still drinking, still hiding it. Uh, you know, I think the most humbling experience through all of that, you know, Without stating the obvious of losing your family for a period of time, was that team that I I got fired from? I had to watch them win the Big Twelve. I had to watch them win the Big Twelve tournament. I had to watch them go to Omaha, uh, and all from my parents' couch because I was kicked out of our house and uh, as a forty-year-old almost living on my parents' couch. And so, uh, it was just very very humbling. And uh, like I said, worked at a feed mill, started selling pharmaceuticals, and all the while still living for my own destruction and, and uh, as enemy of the cross. And, you know, it's just, uh, like I said, you, you you just feel out of place. And all the while, I'm I'm still praying, you know, I'm still praying, Lord, help me get back in the game, help a job open up that semester, which, you know, jobs never open up in baseball in the middle of the season or a semester. It's always in the summertime. Uh, so I go through. Uh, September, I, well, really October, November, December, January, selling pharmaceuticals. And uh, one day I would, just got done uh, at a doctor's office. I just actually got told off by a doctor uh, and left there with my tail between my legs and was headed to the beer store to to walk in and buy some beer. And I uh, got a call from Jeremy Talbot, who I'd coached with at A&M and he had gotten out of baseball and, and was selling pharmaceuticals in South Louisiana. And, and uh, he said, Hey, dude, you're never going to believe this, but the hitting coach and recruiting coordinator at UL Lafayette is leaving. And I said, Like, you talking about right now? And, it, and this was like February. And he's like, Yeah, man, right now. And uh, I said, Well, dude, I, I, I'm I telling you right now, you just tell those guys I'd go there for free. And mm-hmm. uh, I literally meant it at the time. And so God showed me a glimmer of hope. And, uh, I didn't really know the head coach that well at UL. I just knew him because they had been in our regional at A&M in 07, and this was 2011. And, uh, but I had known the assistant, Anthony Babineau, for a long time, 20 years probably. And So get my foot in the door there and meet with Coach Robe at a hotel in San Marcos, Texas. They were already playing their spring schedule and the world. over are playing Texas State. And uh, he he – He's a man that believes in second chances. He's the only guy in the country that would hire me, and and, uh, he wasn't interested in what I did in the past. He was interested in what I was going to do moving forward, and he was really interested uh, in what we could do offensively and recruiting-wise because Coach Robe's a pack rat, and when they were playing us in 07 in our regional, they actually used our dugout one game, so he went in the clubhouse, and he got all the information off the board about our offense, the pack, and our mentality, and he kept it. And I didn't even know that. That's something that he had followed ever since then. And so he was very intrigued by me coming over. So I get there in the middle of the season of 2012 and still a mess, uh, just only there by God's grace. And, And what I figured out is that his grace is so much greater than our sin, and there's no way that we can make sense of why you would, you know, why would you bless me with this at this time in my life? You know, it's funny. Mm -hmm. God has a sense of humor that he takes a a drunk and he puts him in Lafayette, Louisiana, the drinking capital of the United States of America to quit drinking. (laughs) And, uh, but that's, that's kind of the way it went down. You know, Coach Robe hired a broken guy and I got there and the team that I walked into just was not good at all. Uh, they they finished the season hitting like 260 something and uh, just not very offensive. Didn't play very hard. And, uh, I think they finished 23 and 30. I got there and saw immediately what was going on and just kind of hit the ground running, recruiting and didn't get real involved. And uh, still drinking some. And I'm, a, I'm apart from my family because they didn't move over there immediately, so I had to live with Anthony Babineau. Uh, by the grace of God, they took me into their home and I lived with them for three or four months until school was out and my family could move over. That was humbling in itself. And the fact that we didn't have any money and I was barely making anything when I first started over there. And so we couldn't even afford to live in Lafayette. We lived in a, just a sugar cane community right outside of Lafayette called Milton. And, uh, the only place we could find that we could afford and it was kind of out in the middle of nothing and uh just sat amongst a bunch of sugar cane and uh when we went to move in i remember there not being enough room in the house for all of our stuff and uh that's man that's just a tough feeling and so it's sitting out in the driveway and we decided to go get something to eat and then it started to rain and all our stuff was out in the rain and uh come back from eating. And and lo and behold, none of our stuff was ruined because a neighbor had come over and put a tarp over everything. Uh, They didn't know us at all, but it was kind of our introduction to the Cajun way of life and the Cajun people just that they will give you the shirt off their back. And uh, that just kind of opened our eyes to that. And family got there, settled in, and I was still just a broken guy that was living in regret and anger and guilt and and rage and just over where I was and how I got there. And it wasn't until that fall my my little daughter Chloe, we were at church. I don't know how they talked me into going, but I went. I felt guilty for being there. And at the end of the service they opened up a baptism and, and uh Chloe out of the blue said she wanted to get baptized and then leaned over and asked if I would walk her up the stairs to the to take her. And I didn't really want to, but I, you know, obviously being her dad, I was, yeah, I'll do it. And so just the whole way we were waiting in line, walking up the stairs, I just felt a nudging from the Lord and uh, just nudging my heart. And so we get up to the tank and to be baptized and the the preacher's there and he says, daddy, do you want to take uh, your little girl under? And I said, no, you're going to take us both under today. And uh, so I got baptized again with her. And it was the craziest feeling when I came up out of that tank. I just felt light. And I just felt free for the first time in years. And that was the beginning of the healing. And uh, God just spoke to my heart. When you go under, you leave it all here. And you're going to come up a new person. And, and I, I just felt like light as a feather. You know, once again, it was Chloe that was kind of behind that. And, and the Lord speaking through my, my kids. and. I felt light. I started putting down some of the alcohol. I started letting go of some of the guilt. And then on February 13th of that season of 13, I just looked at these boys I was coaching. You know, there was so much brokenness on this team. And uh, I had proven to myself over the years that I couldn't quit drinking for God. I mean, as hard as that is to admit, I couldn't quit drinking for my wife or kids, for myself, for my career, for my family. But I'm going to tell you what, those boys in Lafayette, when I when I really started to look and see, the number one job of the enemy, the number one thing the enemy wants to do is blind you. And I had lived with blinders on for so long that now my eyes were starting to be opened. And I, I looked for the first time and, and I saw where God had placed me and it was in, in the middle of a bunch of brokenness. I realized that this kid's dad is in prison, this kid's mom's an alcoholic, that kid's mom's an alcoholic, that that kid's brother just died, That's this kid's mom's been married five times. And I realized that we were all broken and I was the chief broken one amongst them and there was a reason I was there. And on February 28th, 2013, I just looked at those boys in a hitters meeting we were having, a pack meeting, and I, I just told myself, I didn't tell them. I just said, never again. And it was for those boys that I laid it all down. And I haven't had a drink in five and a half years. And uh, I don't don't go to meetings, don't do anything. But I realized that God's not going to save you until you decide to take action. And it wasn't until I took that action, I took that step, and I responded and got back up that I realized God was there the whole time waiting on me. And he's taken it from me. And you know, to this day, you'd have to put a bullet to my or a gun to my head and pull the trigger before I'd take a drink. And uh, it started for those boys, and it bled over into my wife and kids, and it bleeds over into these kids I coach now. I just won't let them down. And uh, we go on. So at that juncture, you know, I start really kind of rededicate my life of faith, sacrifice, obedience, and service. And I realize that God rewards those things, not that you're gonna. Not encounter trials or hard times, and it says in James one two, you should consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. And so, uh, but I did realize that through a, a life of faith, sacrifice, and obedience, that God's favor is on those things, and and that I, so I went from from really bearing no fruit in my life, or very little fruit, or uh, rotten fruit, to to bearing really good fruit and everything that I touched, and praise God, it continues to this day. You know, it says in John fifteen five, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, that in me you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. And uh, I found that to be true. You know, you look up in 2013, and we go from being a really bad team, really, really just a poor team, and 23 and 30 record, uh, just a team that wasn't very good to in 2013, 43 and 20 largest turnaround in the NCAA leading the nation in 27 to 30 offensive categories. And uh, we lost to LSU in the regional finals. And then you look up in 2014 and we're the first mid-major in the history of college baseball to finish the regular season as the number one ranked team in the nation uh, in all five polls. And we were not just the number one team in the nation. We were a mid-major that was a top eight seed. We hosted a regional and a super regional. We led the nation in offense again. And uh, it was just an incredible, incredible story. That team was two wins off the all-time record at 58-10. and 10. And so, uh, and then in 15, I'm blessed with the opportunity to, to be a head coach at a Division one school an hour and a half from where Kathy and I grew up. Uh, 2016, we become the, the first team in school history to win the, the conference title and the tournament title and then narrowly lose to Arizona and the regional who goes on to play for a national championship. And in 2017, we pulled off the seemingly impossible when we won the, the confer- conference tournament again and then beat Arizona and, and Texas Tech on the same day and then beat Texas Tech at home to win the school and conference's first ever regional and advance to a super regional in Florida state. And uh, that's when you, you, you saw me speak my heart and a press conference that just went crazy and has been viewed over 40 million times and uh, just helped so many people and had an impact on so many people. It led me to write in the book 15 to 28, kind of telling God's story through me. And then you look up in 2018 and we win the conference again. And I've just been blessed with this, Huge platform to share the message of God's love, power, and redemption. And uh, it was funny when I was leaving UL in the summer of 2014. I didn't know that I was leaving, but we were we had just lost to Ole Miss in the championship game to go to Omaha, and it was the final day, and we were having a goodbye meeting, just kind of end of the year. And I felt God nudging my heart, and He, he spoke to me while I was looking at these kids. I'm going to take you and put you on just a little bit bigger stage. And, you know, I tell everybody when I speak, I'm still so greedy and selfish and opportunistic. I thought to myself, (laughs) oh, my God, I'm going to go back to the SEC. And this Mm -hmm. is why I'm talking to these kids. And uh, then he led me to a verse in Isaiah 43, 1. Right after that, it says, do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And there's a lot of perspective to that for me in the fact that I, I now look at, at the audiences that I address or uh a press conference that's been seen millions and millions of times or the book or the stage that you're on and I look out and I realize that this is the stage that, that the Lord was talking about. It had very little to do with baseball. Mm. And so uh that's that's where we're at today and and uh that's that's my story. Mm. Uh, it's just as
1: powerful as, you know, some other times that I've heard it, uh, I, as, as she'd said, when you're on his, uh, the, the chills were real. All right. I got, I got, I got those chills, uh, back as you were talking <laughs> through. And, um, one thing I, you know, I really would like, love you to dive into is, you know, I know there's, I know there is, and, and there's, it's funny. Um, you know, we don't realize, you know, me and Bo, sometimes we get stuck in this room of, you know, maybe we're not at, you know, we don't feel like we're impacting as much as we should or, something or et cetera. And, and, you know, we just did a podcast with Sheets not too long ago and he reached out to us and said that someone had reached out to him and um, you know, they're, they were struggling with some things and uh, the impact that the podcast had on him. And um, I always try to be mindful of that. So I, what, what I would really love you to dive into is if someone's in there um, they're, they're going through that journey and they're stuck. And if you could kind of dive into what advice would you give as some first steps to, um kind of accepting, you know, God and and letting him work in your life. Well, what what is what would you say some first steps? What were some steps that you went through um that maybe you could offer some advice on?
0: Well, the the thing about it is is that God is all powerful. He's all knowing. He is the creator of miracles. But he's not a a a genie in a bottle.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh for so many years I was guilty of praying And continuing to live in sin and and living as an enemy of the cross, uh, you know, praying to God to help help me quit drinking and all the while I'm, I'm literally drinking while I'm praying. And I think so many people that is a common thread through so many people, you realize that you're living as an enemy, but yet your heart is still pliable and what i mean by that is it's still flexible enough that you want something bigger in your life to help you uh you're you're only lost when that heart is hard man and 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 th- there's just no give in you and so if that heart is still pliable and you know that you want to change what you have to understand is this is god's not going to change you god's not going to take this from you It wasn't until I started taking action, I stood up and took action, and took one step that I realized now God is going to take this. See, God is light, and darkness does not live in the light. Darkness, by its very definition, is nothing. It's an absence of light, and I was the darkness. I was living in total darkness, and it wasn't until I took a step, up towards the light and started coming into the light that I realized oh okay you've got this now Lord and so I would say that that getting up responding responding is the most important thing you'll ever do in life and everybody's going to get a chance if you haven't already you're going to and most people get multiple opportunities and responding, you know, I tell people all the time that adversity doesn't make you a man. It only reveals where you're at as a man, and then it gives you a chance to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And it's the ability to respond. It's the ability to get back up. I heard a Navy SEAL friend of mine, Randy Beausoleil, say that. It's uh, He came and spoke to our team, and, and he said adversity doesn't make you a man. A lot of people say adversity makes you a man. It doesn't. It it only reveals, and that's the embarrassing part, it only reveals in front of everybody where you're at as a man. But then it turns right back around and gives you a chance to take action, get back up, and do something about it. And that's what I did. As I, I responded, I took action, I did something about it. The Lord was waiting for me with open arms. I gave it to him, and he took the rest from there. And when you live, And walk with faith and sacrifice and obedience the Lord's face is going to shine down on those things and you are going to receive favor and he will take it from you and he will bless and honor that I guarantee it
2: man it's so powerful to hear how you responded to that adversity and uh, like you mentioned you didn't see a change until you took the responsibility to take those action steps so coach I want you to open up that continued vulnerability with yourself um, you know, addiction isn't a war that is one-on-one battle, but instead it's, it's a continued fight. So, can can you talk about your support system with your family, and also the the support system you have there at Sam Houston State?
0: Yes, I mean, I, I the Lord has placed us at the best school in the country, and I say it all the time. This is this is the best school in the country for me and my family, and uh, we're so blessed to be here. And and they. They support us. Uh, the players support us. Uh, the families support us. And for me, there's just no backing down. And I'm an I'm an old school mentality. And I'm either all in or all out. And there's the further you get away from this thing, I look at it like being out to sea. The further you get away from the shoreline, you can't see the shoreline anymore. And The further you get away from whatever it is that's chasing, the harder it is to surrender. And so initially, you know, a week, pretty tough. Two weeks, tough. Three weeks, a month, two months, three months. There's hurdles you have to clear. But the further you get out, the further you get away, you realize that it's the most important thing in your life above anything is the fact that you're not surrendering and you're not turning back. And at that point, you're able to be the man that God created you to be, the husband, the father, the friend, the brother, the mentor, whatever it might be for other people. And that's where I find myself now is in a position to help and serve and and to kind of guide and lead. And for me, surrender is just not an option. There's too many people counting on what I do. And a lot of the reason, and this is going to sound crazy, a lot of the reason I speak and talk and write and serve is it makes it that much harder to surrender. You're not going to hear me do this podcast with with you, Joey, and you, Bo, today, and then see me walk in a convenience store and buy a 12-pack. It just ain't mm-hmm. going to make sense. Mm-hmm. I ain't doing it. And so a lot of the reason that I do the things I do is it holds me to account.
1: Yeah, and, you know, one thing that I – really find powerful as well as you know as God changed you know your heart you could also see that effect um on how you coached um i remember you know you really diving into how you used to view um coaching and like how you viewed your players um you know how can you kind of take us through that of what what when he changed your heart how you viewed that differently
0: well a lot of what changed my heart was having time with coach roshow at UL. he's a very wise honorable man that just uh totally helped change my outlook on a lot of things and uh, i think he and i were really good for each other i think the lord ordained that and put us in each other's lives at just the right time And he became not only a boss but a big brother of uh, one of my best friends a, a mentor you name it and uh opened my eyes to the fact that for so many years I, I'm a hotly competitive dude. I'm a I'm a guy that competes, competes nasty at everything. I mean, you're talking to a guy that kicked his wife out of our house over a game of Monopoly one time when we were dating. <laughs> and so I'm just a bad loser. And uh so many of the things that I had done over the years were not necessarily transactional towards you personally as much as result oriented. And uh I realized that results are super temporary and uh, your commitment to each other, your love for each other, your sacrifice for each other, that stuff's forever. And that's at the the tip of the spear for me every single day. And what we do is it's all about love, commitment and sacrifice and uh, with one common belief that all things are possible. And so our program lives by Matthew nineteen twenty six, uh, where you know Jesus looked at him and he said, "Yeah, you're right." With man, this would be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And it's founded on John fifteen thirteen. There's no greater honor than to sacrifice for a brother. And we try to live those those values, those verses, those virtues every single day in what we do. Now, uh, do things get hotly contested around here? Controversial? Uh, et cetera. Of course they do because we all have warrior hearts and warrior spirits and we're highly competitive and that's the way God made us. And I'm not going to dull or dummy that down. And I think that would be cheating the gifts that God gave us. Uh, but we do it with a family team, love first attitude. And uh, I just, I think it makes this program and these boys infectious.
2: Yeah, man. Love that. And I'd say you guys are doing a hell of a job there. Um, I want you to build off that and talk about OKGs, and then talk about what the pack mentality means to you guys there at Sam Houston State.
0: Well, OKGs stand for our kind of guys, and uh, you know you've got you've got to fit what we do uh, for us to recruit you, and and quite frankly, we're a throwback program. Like I said, I'm old school. I honestly believe I should have grown up in the playing baseball in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I mean, I. I still believe you should be able to, to break up double plays, run over the catcher. Uh, I believe in, in playing the game the way that it was meant to be played. And uh, we we approach this game like a football game. We only play 56 of them in the regular season. And so we're going to play with a lot of intensity. We're going to play with our hair on fire. And we're looking for guys that still drink out of water hose. We're not looking for the guy that, that's going to get a Gatorade flip to him over the fence. We want a guy to go turn on that specket, wait for it to cool off and take a big goal. Uh, And and they're out there. They're out there. There's a bunch of kids that still love to play this game the right way, still love to, to get on and off the field, still love to sprint down the line, still love to execute for their teammates, and still love to play to win. And so you've got to be able to fit what we do. And in saying that, obviously, you need to have some speed and strength and Good arm action and and have a feel for the game, and you you need to be a pitcher that that loves to compete and wants the baseball, command a fastball, has the makings of an out pitch, and uh, so it's a it's a tough strenuous ordeal for us, but we don't waver for, from it. We we haven't for years, and we get guys that want to be here. We get guys that want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And our coaches, Coach Harvell, Coach Sirianni, Coach Webb, Coach Miles, they do an incredible job of initially Coach Harvell and Coach Sirianni identifying and recruiting those guys and then us getting them on campus and developing that out of them. Our program is based on development. Uh, we're still Team David uh, competing against a bunch of people that want to be a part of Team Goliath. And so we've got to be able to out you, out-compete you, out-smart you, uh, be in better shape, be tougher than you are uh, if we want to have a chance to win and so what allows us to do that in that team concept is what's known as the pack mentality, and the pack mentality was born in two thousand and five six uh, out of necessity and uh, you know, Rob and I walked into a and m and thought we had it going on, and we just underperformed that first year with the players we inherited and I spent an entire summer trying to figure it out. Why couldn't we get these guys to buy into what we do and, uh, watching documentary on a pack of wolves. And literally that's how the pack was born because in an actual pack, if you're going to survive, you're going to take down that Buffalo. Everybody in that pack has a different job due to your function. Literally in, in the wild, there's alpha wolves, beta wolves, scout wolves, caretaker wolves, hunter wolves, Everybody has a job. There's actually no such thing as a lone wolf. Lone wolves go off and die. And so inside of our program, from the pitchers through the hitters, everybody has an identity. And so we set out inside of the pack way to – and, and it's, it's our entire culture. Uh, but we'll just talk about building our identity. Uh, we set out to, to take what you have, set parameters around it, and then nurture you, water you, build you, and grow you into the player that we believe that you can become. And it's just had incredible, incredible success and results for us over the years. And it's something that these kids love buy into, uh, love to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And, uh, it's, uh, it's who we are. It's our mentality for the strength of the pack is a wolf, but the strength of the wolf is the pack. Nothing comes before team. And so, we nurture the wolf, we build the pack. And, uh, obviously the, the, the mission is to walk through the gates of Omaha one day.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, this is great. Um, Degs, I so much just appreciate how much time you've given us and, um, continue to spread that influence throughout the game and, you know, just continue to give back. Um, I know it's so easy. It's so easy. You know, once you, once you, like you said, once you start leaving see sea, and once God is, you know, um, brought you back up to forget, you know, how quickly we forget what he's done for us. And you continue to get back and tell your story and remind yourself of what he's brought you through. And uh, we really appreciate that. And we, we thank, we're thankful that you can jump on the podcast with us today.
0: Amen. Thank you guys, uh, Joey and Bo, uh, true professionals. Y'all did a great job. Y'all made it easy. I appreciate y'all.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Dex. Uh Look forward to being in touch.
0: All right. We'll see you guys.
1: Man, I'm not kidding you when I'm talking through when I was getting the chills, man. It was just – it's a crazy experience to to feel that as someone's talking and um, experiencing their journeys. But this call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats.
2: Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, that's so true. Such a powerful message with so many great points. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey?
1: Yeah, I think um, when he kind of dove into – for a while – um, you know, he kept asking God to change him, but he he never took the steps to do that. And I think that's a very powerful message, you know, for you out there, guys, people that are out there trying to um, change your life. I mean, you know, with that, we we while God doesn't need our permission again and again. This is my personal opinion. I mean, while God doesn't need our permission to enter our lives, I think He wants it. You know, like He wants our permission because I think that shows our change um, our, our heart changing and our willingness to, um, you know, give in and, and, and reach out just as he's reaching out to us and he'll constantly chase us, um, from place to place. But at the same time, there's a component from that, of that, that we need to step towards him as well. Um, so I think that's a great, the great point that he made is that he just needed to take the first step, um, just to show that, you know, he was willing to change and, um, let God work in his heart. So that was my biggest call takeaway. How about you, Bo?
2: Yeah, mine kind of builds off that, and that's be willing to be vulnerable. You know, you're not living a life of servant leadership until you're willing to live a life of the cross, like Coach Deggs mentioned. You know, there's a lot of professionals that show up to work, and they do a great job when it comes to the X's and O's, but they aren't living that life of the cross, which causes a disconnect, and living that type of lifestyle, you're going to have a void in your heart. So, like Coach Deggs mentioned, you're drifting off to sea, and you're losing sight of the shore, so... My biggest takeaway is is being honest with yourself, be honest with your team, and seek help if you need it, because your story is powerful if you're willing to allow it to be heard.
1: Absolutely. And guys, if you know anybody that hasn't heard Matt Degg's story, this is a great episode to share with him on that. I mean, I remember the first time I heard his, his story at, at the ABCA convention. Uh, just how powerful it was. I mean, you guys should have saw the room um, when we were leaving. There's a extra room that you can go into and ask questions after they're done speaking, and that room was packed. Literally, we couldn't even fit, fit anybody else in the room to stand up. So that's how many people that it affects. If anybody's struggling with anything, um, you know, we all have uh, vulnerabilities. There's all all types of areas that we can continue to grow, or they need to hear this message. Um, this is great for them, um, and you know, just continue to share this. Um, even too with younger coaches or people just getting into the game. Um, This is great perspective of someone that's kind of been through it and learning from each other's pitfalls and, and, and growth. And I think this is great for that, but you know, as always guys, go on our, go on our website. There's a whole bunch of resources and things on there for you guys trying to, trying to add some more value to you guys. Um, if you have anything that you think that would be great to be put on that page, definitely reach out to us, reach out on social media, reach out um, on our, our, the system.farm as well. Um, and you guys definitely to stay tuned to our YouTube channels. There's all kinds of content we're putting out there on videos and all kinds of things like that as well. But until next time farm system out.